Hello, fellow planeswalkers, and welcome into the Ether Vortex. My name's Nizaboy, and you're, I'm your guide into all the different ways you can enjoy Magic the Gathering, and how they all come together in something wild, wacky, and a little bit magical. Hope everyone is doing well out there. No, originally, I had this episode planned to be about my experience with Streets of New Capenna on Magic Arena. That being said, uh, it's been about a month of that, and it turns out we don't have a new standard set uh, un until September or so. So that's three months of more of this. Yeah. Uh, the metaphor for New Capenna is also not that interesting. I mean, it's basically just brokers or, not, or bust. Um, and so, you know, I'm, it's not going to be all that interesting to talk about it, you know, even with only a month of data in. So uh, hopefully, you know, sometime over the next month, I'm going to keep playing uh li limited until my gems run out basically and i'll probably switch to explore instead um you know instead of historic and work my way with mono red burn um so yeah i mean i don't have anything really interesting to say about that uh until then if, if i find an interesting deck between now and then hopefully that makes the end of uh format conversation a little bit more interesting uh, instead, I figured we'd do something I haven't done in a while and take a look at the cards from Baldur's Gate Commander Legends set coming out this weekend uh, that I'm writing this a week after I'm recording, and, you know, the set releases, I think, the week I'm recording this. I uh, figured out what decks, you know, we can build from these. Um, now, my Commander decks tend to be showcases of tribes and mechanics more so than um, purely uh, competitively functional decks. Um, now, I, they do have a game plan, obviously. If you throw enough cards with the same mechanic together, it's probably going to work. That said, a lot of the mechanics in Magic are very limited focused, um, so it may not have as much synergy, though obviously going across sets um, for tribes particularly were, is a little bit better in that regard. Um, I tend to find a theme or mechanic or even alternate art style, style basically, um, that roughly equates to 65 or so cards, fill in the other 35 with a, a selection of lands that I happen to have on hand. Often this means, yeah, I'm going through draft chaff and, you know, it's probably underpowered for commander, but Part of the fun, that's part of the fun for me, um, and you know, it also to some degree a bit of my strategy of being under the radar enough to kind of you know to be go unnoticed by my competitors until uh, I'm able to kind of like hopefully put together enough synergies to come together. Um, there are a number of themes from Baldur's uh, Legends, uh, Commander Legends Baldur's Gate, um, and it gives us a bunch of decks actually at different price points. So I'll be going up the price from cheapest to most expensive. Uh, first up, we have the part, and I'll also only be talking about roughly the 65 cards in the deck, not doing a full deck tech of every card in the set, just kind of going over the overall themes of my approach to building these. So first up, we have the party mechanic. Um, this one originated in Zendikar Rising as a mostly limited mechanic that cares uh, about having one, at least one of four different creature types, a cleric, rogue, warrior, and wizard, your classic D&D party. Um, prior to this, you know, the de facto commander for this was Tazri, Beacon of Unity, who as a five-color commander lets you play any number of uh, powerful party members from across magic history. Though it looks like, you know, there's also looking at EDH, right, a bit of a du dungeon sub-theme, uh, which I think matches flavor-wise, and we'll talk about dungeon mechanic later on. Um, you know, there is also a pre-con among the four from this set that actually is a, a white-black deck that is um, you know matching the uh, Zendikar Rising theme uh, in uh, actually blue-white and black-red were the uh, primary col uh, co colors for party in that limited set. So now we're moving to white-black um, here. So actually, for this mechanic, I have two different decks. You know, uh, before I actually had a Tazvi deck, uh, kind of originally led by the original incarnation of Tazvi. That cares only about allies. Um, 
And, you know, they had a bit of a Gates sub-theme in there, but I'm going to talk about Gates later this episode as well. Um, I want to spin, and, and I, because I want to spin Gates off to its own deck, it would be a good chance to kind of work on a different version of Tazvi potentially and have, you know, there's a second Tazvi from Zendikar Rising that does care about allies, but mostly is more about a, a, a party mechanic deck. So looking at that, looking uh, at cards that explicitly care about party synergy. So either having par- uh, uh, calls out the four party member types, or implicitly upgrades party synergies by being multiple types in and of them themselves, such as stone, uh, stonework, uh, stone pack beast. Um, I, it came up to forty one cards, which is a little bit sort of my sixty five card benchmark. Um, so you know, what do I do here in order to get to that sixty five mark? Well, if I have the second Tazvi uh, as the commander, why not lead it into the ally sub theme? Now, you know, I could start with all of the party allies, right? Creatures who have ally type, who are also one of the parties. Uh, luckily, on uh, Scryfall, there is a, uh, a search uh, function, is is party, um, automatically searches for one of those four uh, creature types. So you would search for, you know, creature type equals ally and is party. Um, so that's, you know, 34 total uh, party party allies. Um, now, some of these are basically just French vanilla creatures who are really underpowered for Commander, even by my standards. So call it about another 30 or so, right? That gets us up to 71 or so. Um, now, the thing is, I also don't like repeating cards between decks if possible. So some of the more powerful allies, you know, those that trigger off allies coming into the battlefield, I'll likely want to put back into the ally-centric deck. Now, that those aside, you know, there are still, you know, allies that gives me something to work with. You know, again, mostly a white-black focus. Um, now, you know, and, and, and because it also turned out that, uh, you know, there was a bit of a, the white-black focus in Zendikar Rising was the uh, Cleric's sub-theme. There was a bit of a life game thing going on in there. So, you know, I, I figured that, you know, I, I could throw in some, uh, some of the allies specifically that cared about life game that didn't trigger off of other allies specifically. So the list I came up uh, with on, on, on Archidact comes up to 63 or so non-lands. Price tag about uh, $45 total. Um, however, 35 of those actually come from new cards in Baldur's Gate. Most likely the pre-cons. And you know, by this point in time, actually looking at from when, when I'm recording this from when I wrote this, the price has actually gone down to only, uh, it looks like $24 uh, with the more expensive cards, uh, the, the exclusive cards from uh, Commander Legends. Uh, basically, um, you know, dropping in price as of result um, of you know now being publicly available uh, so that's actually not that bad. Uh, the party type breakdown here is 12 clerics, uh, 7 rogues, 14 warriors, and 8 wizards. Not perfectly balanced, but you know there are 5 other cards that are all party types in the deck, so it's a little bit more reasonable. Again, it's missing, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, obvious life gain synergies I could go with, I'm not including here, um, you know, such as maybe Sanguine Blood, for example, but I don't want to step too much on my Vampire Tribal Deck's life gain sub-theme. Uh, by comparison, looking at my ally tribal deck that leans a little bit harder onto the ally focus, um, you know, about 56 cards in the deck, the, that card, that deck costs about $25, the most expensive being Gideon Ally of Zendikar at 7. Um, these 56 cards pretty much exclusively all uh, exclude all the cohort cards and vanilla or French vanilla allies um, that don't trigger off of allies or provide some useful utility, but I can see a few others being slotted in. Um, and these do include all the cards that would probably fit into the party subtype at this point. Um, I'll talk about another party deck uh, when I talk about this next mechanic, a dungeon. Um, so the dungeon mechanic originated in uh, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms uh, last year. Whenever a card says to venture into the dungeon, you choose to venture into one of three dungeons uh, with different series of effects, and you know you trigger that effect. Uh, if you're in a dungeon and you venture, you move on to the next room in the dungeon and trigger that effect, and so on until you complete the dungeon. Um, and then when you 
you do so, when you venture again, you venture into either the same dungeon or a new dungeon. Uh, Baldur's Gate introduced a monarch-like designation of uh, having the initiative. Um, basically, when you when you take the initiative, you venture, uh, if you're not already in a dungeon, into a specific dungeon, uh, the Undercity. Um, and as long as you have the initiative, every upkeep, you will venture further into there. Um, or whenever you're, you have you have a, a deck that uh, mechanic that says venture into the dungeon, you go further into the Undercity. Um, you can lose the initiative by taking combat damage from an opponent who then receives the initiative from you. Um, and Thus, and then it moves into the, their own Undercity dungeon. Um, and yeah, so obviously uh, the dungeon cards, the Adventures of the Dungeon cards from uh, Adventures of the Forgotten Realm will work with the initiative cards from... Um, Baldur's Gate. Now, you know, this as a draft archetype in uh, Forgotten Realms uh, was mostly in Esper colors, right? And that actually matched a precon from the uh, Forgotten Realms deck called Cephas of the Hidden Ways, who cared about triggering dungeons when your creatures died, reanimating creatures from the graveyard when you completed dungeons. Um, if you have her as a commander and the new cards from Baldur's Gate that, that care about the initiative, mix up with the uh, Adventures of Forgotten Realm cards that just care about dungeons, plus a few other support cards, um, you end up with about 52 cards total, a little bit sort of the, the 65 mark I'm looking for. Now, there are a couple of ways I could fill this out, right? Uh, one, on Magic Arena before New Capenna, uh, I actually was playing a historic deck from uh, MTD Goldfish called Assessorak Burn. Uh, Assessorak is a 5-5 creature you can cast for 3 mana, uh, one, 2 generic and 1 black. However, if you have not completed the specific uh, Dungeon of the Mad Wizard or, or, or whatever it was called, um, he will basically enter the dungeon uh, he will enter the battlefield and then bounce himself back to your hand and cause you to venture into a dungeon. Now, you don't have to... Now, you know, the expected play was, you know, you would, you know, play him a bunch of times uh, and then eventually uh, complete that one specific dungeon um, and then uh, basically then get to keep him around. Um, however, uh, what the historic deck... Or you would also wait until you've completed that dungeon before playing him. Uh, but what the historic deck I was playing does is actually... So first off, you basically have a Gore Clock, Terrell of Kyle Sisma, um, on in play, which reduces, reduces the cost of playing uh, creature cards with power 4 or greater by 2. Uh, since he has 5 power, he's reduced to only a single black mana and what you do is you have a bunch of black mana basically and you bounce him repeatedly back to your hand um, and crucially you do not enter that specific dungeon so you know you put at you basically as many times as you have black mana available you will venture into the dungeon that many times so long as uh gore claw stays in play um, you just keep on bouncing him back and getting all the effects um how you end up winning is one you know you get value from going into the dungeon but two um you also uh play uh sarkhan's Sealing and Terror of, of the Peaks, uh, two cards which basically whenever a creature enters the battlefield, uh, you deal damage to the opponent equal, um, you know, for a Terror of the Peaks case, equal to their power. Uh, Sarkhan's Unsealing, if uh, they're above a certain power level, dealing a set number of damage. Um, and so, yeah, you basically just do this over and over again. Uh, you can also get support by Cure, Bethlehem, Beckoner, a Planeswalker who basically lets you, um, you know, does some ramping with her ability, with her, with her activated ability, but her static ability is the one where when the creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield you draw a card so you know in an otherwise low power deck um, this is basically a three-part combo in th in three different colors two of which are not normally dungeon colors um, so that basically stretches it the full wooberg um, no particular commander at the helm right i just tried on on architect just selected a generic command five color commander i don't quite have yet um you know and you know there are some some venture cards in the other colors right um there was a green planeswalker from forgotten realms that specifically cares about uh entering uh, that causes you to venture into the dungeon so you know you 
you could do that, right, and, and get those in there. That puts the total up to 71 cards, um, you know, for both the, the Wooburg version of Initiative and Dungeon. Um, probably, of course, need to make a few cuts to get down to 60, uh, 67 cards total, when I, what, non-land cards when I look at it, um, but uh, at 71 cards, but, you know, $67 in terms of cost. However, 30 of that is actually Goreclaw and Terror of the Peaks themselves. Uh, so if you choose to exclude the Assessorak burn combo, it's more like $35 total for this deck. Now, putting this deck together, there are a couple of... Now, as I'm putting this episode together, a couple of late plastic ideas come to mind. Um, if the, the initiative kind of acts like Monarch, right? There's actually a thing where on the Mothership where they, they kind of like post all about the rules, they actually copied and pasted the uh, text for, you know, rulings on the on the Monarch and forgot for the initiative and just didn't change the word Monarch in one of the paragraphs, basically. So basically, right, it's basically uh, a way... Monarch is introduced as a way to speed up commander games. Why not really have, uh, you know, why not really double the incentive for people to attack each other by having a Monarch and initiative in the same deck. Um, looking at all the Monarch cards and all the uh, initiative cards, that comes up to about 55 cards or so, which makes it an interesting game, right? Uh, it's going to move really fast, and I think by being a little bit underpowered, you kind of put yourself at risk, actually. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure that's the route I would go. Um, you know, I, I want to have voting as a mechanic to go with Monarch, um, so and, and putting those cards in pushes it up to $77 uh, cards total. Maybe I could go Greenless here, getting it down to only 69 but, you know, um, I I don't know with that particular move, but that's an interesting way you could take it if you really want to introduce these things to need to track around. Um, you could also do what seems to be a bit of the norm and go for a party dungeon mechanic in Esper Colors, right? Like I mentioned before, looking at EDH Rex page, um, the dungeon uh, Cephas ends up, you know, having obviously the dungeon mechanic, um, but also seems to have a bit of a party something going on and, and vice versa as well for Tazri. Um, you know, again, dungeons were white-black in AFR uh, and blue-black is another color pair in draft for that. Meanwhile, Party in Genicar Rising was uh, white-blue with a little bit of black in, for the black-red color pair that supported it. Um, and then life get, and then you know you also have the white-black precon from this set. So you know, looking at all that, that's about 78 cards total for this configuration. A fair number of cuts to be made, um, uh, but it is also about $40 total altogether. Now, another returning command mechanic in Commander's Baldur's Gate is Adventures. This one's from Throne of Aldrain, which is a massively flavorful mechanic. Basically, it's a split card where you have the option of casting from your hand uh, a instant or sorcery spell uh, that's attached to a permanent usually a creature, and then when that spell resolves, instead of going to the graveyard, it goes into exile on an adventure. Uh, from there, you can basically cast it whenever you could normally cast a creature. Uh, so it's kind of getting essentially a two-for-one value out of your card. Obviously, you need to play... Uh, uh, you know, extra mana each time uh, to do that, but it's a nice way to get you know spell effects on uh, creature cards to some degree. Um, you know, the mechanic again is very flavorful for a, for you know a D and D set uh, and Forgotten Realms with some support here. Now. Adventures are in all five colors, right? Um, and they sew up in 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 and uh, in all five colors. Um, and so you know there, there there are actually a couple of cycles this set. Right? I think there's a cycle of dragons from Baldur's Gate that are adventure cards. However, this this pushes us way over the limits uh, of what I'm looking at. 65 cards with about 73 cards total or so. Now, looking at the breakdown of cards, it looks like red and black actually has less support overall for adventures. Um, you know, there is a blue-red legendary, um, and you know, and and there are and there is a couple of good ones from Adventures of the Forgotten Realm. Uh, Bone Cluster Giant comes to mind, but you know, the red-black ones really played into this uh, red-black-white sub theme going on in. Um, 
uh, forgotten realms that are in in Eldraine that was you know knight knight tribal. So you know a lot of those cards are really good with knights, but not in this particular situation. Um, so you know taking ignoring red and black, there happens to actually be a, a band uh, legendary that said Gorion the Wise Mentor, um, where basically uh, it supports he supports adventures by uh, copying them whenever they're cast. Um, so you know, you could move into band. You know there's also Tulane from the Brawl decks that came out around the time of uh, Eldraine that was famously you know overpowered, but I think he was intended to be an adventure tribal deck. Um, you know basically you know his ability to return creatures back to your hand lets you. Uh, basically return creatures that have adventures on them back to your hands so you can cast them again for more value. So, you know, moving to Bant probably seemed like a good move. Um, this reduces the number of adventures to only 51. Um, now, you know, so, you know, too many, going all five, going to three colors only brings us to too low. Um, but, so looking on EDH, right, there were actually some a synergistic, a synergistic card that came to mind that, that popped out. Vega the Watcher from Kaldheim, which is a legendary blue-white creature um, who basically whenever you cast spells from anywhere not your hand, you draw a card. Um, Adventures by donator, you cast them from your hand, yes, but then when you cast a creature afterwards, you get to draw a card off of them since they're coming from exile. And, you know, again, that, that works really well. Now, he is in Kaldheim, so there weren't any adventures there, but uh, he was meant to work with the blue-white foretell mechanic uh, in um, Forgotten Realm, or in Kaldheim, where you basically would exile a card from your hand on your turn, and then on a later turn, you could basically cast it for usually a cheaper cost, so you're paying for it in installments. Um, Flavorfully, the idea of going on an adventure that was foretold um, is your destiny was, I think, a little too good to pass up for me. And again, it's mo it is mostly a, a white-blue mechanic, so it's pretty much a good fit here. Um, you know, and, and it brings us to to a, uh, the good number of cards here. Now. What I found here, actually, what I like to do when I build decks is, you know, obviously you can have one command you like to build around, but if you can build a deck flexibly enough, um, and if there are enough uh, legendary creatures that support the theme, um, you know, you could basically, I, what I like to do for maximum variability in an already variable format, um, you know, is to basically have two or three eligible commanders within a deck, um, kind of like the precons that they have here, and then basically let you swap them out. Now, you build a deck a little bit more intensely so that the deck works with all of them, but obviously you having the commander in command zone anytime you're available really amps up or amps down the power of the deck depending on the power of the commander. Um, so, you know, you know, in, in this case, Gorion is kind of like the Goldilocks mid-tier commander, you know, really designed to work with the uh, with the with the mechanics of the set very synergistically. Uh, Tulane, Teller of Tales, who I mentioned before, um, is definitely a little bit more power is definitely a lot more powerful, and he's gonna attract a lot of hate uh, from people at any table he comes down on. But you know, he can play at those higher levels just by his own inherent power level. And then for a really low power, you know, kind of more group huggy approach, um, you know, you have Greater Feldegriff, uh, which is an old border magic card, but it's a legend, um, can come in and actually works well since questing Feldegriff um, could definitely be uh, something you search is on theme for going on an adventure. Um, I also included the questing beast as well. Again, quests, adventures, it just makes sense. Uh, overall, the deck, as I have it on EDH rec, uh, has 65 cards or so and an $86 price tag. Um, the two most expensive cards being Brazen Borrower at $20 and Tulin at $12. So aside from those two, it's about $54 overall. Um, now, the next deck I want to talk about is, again, that spinoff I mentioned from the uh, my Tazri Allied Gates deck. Um, as I mentioned, I was previously using the Raven Gates uh, as a mana base for the Allies uh, at my Allied deck, uh, combined with Mazes and for basically an alternate win con here. 
However, with Baldur's Gate, you know, there was, of course, Baldur's Gate uh, has nine new gates to actually introduce. Um, in addition, there's actually also Nine Fingers Keen, a new Sultai legendary who cares about gates, and then also two other cards that now search up gates as well. Now, I figure, you know, I've been thinking of making another deck from uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, uh, the long-awaited Shrine Tribal deck led by Ghost and Tai of Life's Origin. Um, and if you think about it, Gates, Shrines, they're both architectural forms um, that are basically represented in magic by non-creature, well, mostly non-creature cards. Um, so the flavor makes a little bit more sense here. And um, I, I do have my Shrines currently in my, uh, my the five Shrines I currently have in my God Tribal deck uh, using the secret versions of the Theros Gods, but that also needs to make space for the Kaldheim gods coming in, so it's about time to move the shrines out of their own deck. Um, this one's really straightforward and pretty much builds itself, right? You have uh, 40 cards in the mana base, more than my typical uh, 35. Um, there are 20 gates total, uh, plus Vesuva, Mazes and Thespian Stage, Plaza of Harmony, and of course Command Tower, um, plus, you know, 15 other lands as necessary to round out the balance um, equally. Um, so that gets you the 40 cards for the mana base. Um, and then within the actual 60 cards, you have 25 cards that either sorts up gates or pay you off for having gates. Um, and then on the shrine side of things, there are currently 17 shrines including the new commander, plus Shrine Steward uh, to search up shrines. Um, I also found a cycle of artifacts from New Phyrexia that have shrine in their name. They're not actually shrines for the purposes of triggering shrine, the shrines, um, but it is rather flavorful. So that's 23 shrine, shrine cards total. Um, that puts us at 48 with about a dozen or so cards to fill in. Um, now, you know, these are, I think, more utility cards. You know, you have Chromatic Lantern for mana fixing, Arcane Signet, uh, Commander Sphere. Um, you know, that's uh, the, the dozen cards down to only nine. Um, so a couple of options, right? You could go guard cards that are more flavorful, right? You have Azor's Gateway, Lava Brink Flood Gate, uh, Cemetery Gatekeeper, Sea Gate Oracle, West Gate Regent, and Cemetery Gatekeeper. They don't, again, don't synergize with the gates, but they have them in the name. Um, there's also Cissé Weatherlight Captain, who probably is replaced, who was my previous commander for my gods deck, but with Eskia uh, from, from Kaldheim coming in, uh, she probably is getting replaced. Um, and that would work well to tutor up all of the shrines. Uh, there's also, of course, various shrine enablers. Um, there's Exploration, Amulet of the Vigor, Divide of the Leeson Grove, Scape Sift, Wilderness Reclamation, Carmel's Druidic Vow. Um, so, you know, you all, and, and those also work really well with the gate sub-theme. Um, you also have a couple of this, these uh, rampers with multiple green in the mana cost, but if you remove those, you actually can add Gigantha, the Wellspring, as a companion. He synergizes rather well uh, with Ghost and Tai and Cissé's uh, activated abilities that cast Wooburg, and Cissé can, of course, act as an alternate commander in this case, you know, synergizing with the legendary cards that are the shrines. Now, overall, you know, looking at this all together, the, the deck is $115 total. Uh, the big cost of that are $13 for Chromatic Lantern, Vesuva for 12 and Mazes End for 11. Uh, the last of the crazy ideas I have, uh, and also the most expensive, um, uh, kind of deals with what, what are the marquee mechanics for Commander's Legend Baldur's Gate. Um, in draft, right, you want to be able to draft a commander, and previously what they've done is use the partner mechanic, uh, where you can basically draft two separate legendary creatures, and their combined color identity makes sure that you're able to get whatever creature uh, card, basically make a make a deck whatever you need, including some kind of fail-safe uh, cards. Um, here, instead of adding to the ever-growing partner pool, they had a 
batched version of this where they have choose a background. Uh, there are some creatures that have choose a background essentially, which is a partner with the background, which is a new uh, subtype for enchantments um, that basically uh, one adds can serve as a commander and so basically does for, serves the function of adding to your uh, color identity. But two, they also g give rules text to your commander once they are cast from the command zone. Um, now, obviously, backgrounds are meant for the draft in the command zone, but you could still also play them in the 99. So if let's say we play as many backgrounds as we can, right? How do we then maximize the impact of playing these multiple backgrounds together? Um, you know, this is basically if you're giving abilities to commanders, you're basically giving them Voltron to some degree. Um, now, you know, the obvious start here is to try to play all five colors of backgrounds, but looking at them, it actually looks if you're going on the Voltron strategy, blues backgrounds are the least relevant, right? Some benefit from blinking, uh, which kind of resets your commander uh, if they have counters on them, for example, um, one which is the dungeon mechanic, which works well in the dungeon deck I've been talking about, but not so much for this deck. Um, and others just copy the commander into another creature, or they work with artifacts. Um, so, you know, only two of them care about total combat, and one of them is limited to only attacking the opponent with the highest life total, and the other one makes a single token when it connects. So, I think blue is safely excludable here. So that leaves us with white, black, red, and green. Um, now, obviously, you could go with Sasuke, who's a great Voltron commander, but, you know, why limit ourselves to just one commander when our backgrounds affect all commander creatures? Um, so what if we use the partner mecha mechanic uh, from those four color commander decks um, and double the impact of our backgrounds by having double the number of commanders? Uh, for this col particular uh, color, uh, color identity, there are three sets of commanders which I can use, which again plays well into my, my desire to have multiple possible commanders. Uh, you know, first up, uh, first up, you have Bruce Tarl uh, in red and red white, who is very much Voltron. You know, he gives creatures lifelink and double strike when attacking. Um, he pairs with either with either of the black green commanders, uh, Ikra Siddiqui, who has built-in invasion and with menace and also gains life for you uh, on dealing combat damage. And there's also Rehan, last of the Abzan, who can pass his counters around when he dies, which works well since some backgrounds actually have plus one plus one counter synergies. Um, other pairs uh, is a little bit more go wide, with some uh, granted some uh, backgrounds here do do. Um, Ravos Soul Tender is an anthem giving plus one plus one to all creatures you have. He also has some evasion with flying, um, and then. Uh, Tana the Blood Sower has Trample uh, for her evasion and makes saplings on player combat damage. So going this read, I can maximize the playability by basically having these three sets of commanders to go with. Now, between the pre-cons and the set itself, um, there are 24 backgrounds uh, in our colors. Um, Acolyte of Bahumut isn't really relevant, um, since we don't have that many dragons in the deck. Uh, Faceless One, obviously, is uh, basically this set's Prismatic uh, Piper, a backup commander if you're not able to get one uh, for the draft. Um, and then there's Passant Archaeologist, who it's, there aren't many cards that we're casting from Exile here. So that gives us 21 backgrounds total. Um, now, if we're going with multiple command commanders getting boosted, why not lean into that with other cards that care about having commanders specifically. Um, for example, Bloodsworn Steward gives commanders plus two, plus two, and haste. Um, you have your two commanders, that's basically a plus four, plus four, and haste on two creatures, um, doubling his impact. We have the Familiar Cycle from uh, the first Commander Legend set who grants counters, uh, death touch, menace, uh, double damage, and indestructible. Um, there's also uh, the Lieutenant Cycle from a few pre-cons back that care about having your commander on the battlefield to power themselves up. So if you have twice as many commanders, you are twice as likely to have them in place 
play the trigger. Um, presuming you know, there's going to be some of them are going to get removed. These are your your the commandos are more sticky enough uh, for these ones to to act to work. Um, these also apply to recent Siege of New Com- Panda Commander Henzi Toolbox Tori, who reduces blitz cost, which he grants to cards um, based on the number of times you've cast your commander this game. Obviously, this kind of reduces if you're the single commander over time because you know commander attacks adds up. But you know you could also cast a commander two your commander eats once and that counts as two commander casts for his purposes. Uh, this also is the same from Jinwa Jinwa Kudro from Ikoria who comes with soldier tokens uh, based on the number of times that she's been cast. Uh, a commander has been cast from the from the command zone and sees an anthem for all these soldiers. Uh, of course, you also have various instants and sorceries that care about how often you cast your commander uh, or have your commander on the field. Uh, these include the storm cycle, you know, or or the cycle that includes deflecting swat that lets you cast cards for free if you control your commander. Um, I don't have any list currently, but could very easily throw in all the wills, um, such as Jessica's will, uh, which again care that let you or mortal cards that give you both options if you have a commander. So this is definitely the most expensive deck this episode. Coming in uh, with 68 cards, um, you know, 68 to 62 cards or so, that's $210 total. Um, big part of that is tied up in that deflecting SWAT cycle, uh, which up nearly $100 on their own. And then Angelic Field Marshal, one of the lieutenants, is also $19. So moving those cards, you're close to actually like $100 total. Uh, probably a bit much for a bit more of a gimmick deck, but if you're like me and you collect all the pre-cons anyway, you should have most of these uh, non-background pieces, if not already in other decks and hopefully those backgrounds will be easy enough to pick up from Baldur's Gate um also, you know, I, I do have another deck. Uh, also, putting on this final touches on this episode, I actually just got my Baldur's Gate pre-cons in the mail. Speaking of, looking at the horror title deck, I actually was curious what a deck built in my style horror-wise would look like. Turns out it's actually a perfect home from Asiok Tribal as well, a touch of nightmares. Um, right now, I'm at 75 cards total, excluding uh, I excluded all the Eldrazi, uh, Phyraxian, and Zombie horrors, since those presumably could have other decks they fit into. Um, and this comes out to about $220 total, um, most of that's driven by Urbog and Cabal Coffers uh, being $30 each, so it's more like a $160 total once you remove those. Uh, the focus generally revolves around the graveyard and a lot of incidental mill going on, um, and it's suited for the command, pre-con commander Captain Rathrod. However, there are two powerful uh, alternate commanders I, I could throw in. One is Toxrel, right, uh, Co- the Corrosive, who is a bit more of a, of a, who's a powerful whore in their own right, but because it's, you know, a lower power, it's because a high converted mana cost, they're not going to be cast all that often, and so it has a bit of a lower power level. On the other hand, you have Umbris Fear Manifest from Theros Beyond Death, um, where, you know, basically uh, it attacks the opponent's deck on a different axis by exiling cards from the library instead of sending them to the graveyard. Um, there are a number of exile the graveyard cards I'm through in the sideboard to consider, of course, but there, that does mean there is a tension if you play both of them, both the captain and uh, Umbris in the deck, where the captain wants you other cards in the deck want you to have as many cards in the graveyard as possible, and then some cards will just exile those to grow the other to grow other cards in the deck. Um, so that's that's a little interesting tension I think I could see playing out here. Um, now there are you know obviously other things from Commander Legends that have my attention. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, the showcase cards. I'm actually spent the last uh, week or so in my free time uh, reorganizing and ordering new binders uh, to better sew off uh, and also inventory all of my showcase and secret layer cards that I've collected over the past couple of years. Um, Eventually, the Forgotten Realms has you know bringing back the uh, old school showcase style like the Monster Manual illustrations from Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. Um, now the original set had 42. 
uh, had 60 showcase cards, 42 of which uh, were non-legendary creatures. Um, meanwhile, there are 76, uh, for 76 here, and 19 of only 19 of those are non-legendary creatures. That's fine, um, but it does make deck building a lot more difficult because all the legends in Commander Legends who are in the showcase style basically are pulling the deck in different directions and don't really synergize that well together. Um, also, you know, there's Beetle and Grim doing a secret layer drop with the dragons from Forgotten Realm and Tiamat getting uh, this 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 art book style. It hasn't been officially released yet, but looking to be pretty expensive. Um, overall, that would be 136 cards, I believe. And, you know, it's good. it's kind of hard to make cuts that much. You're basically halving the deck at that point. Um, so I just, this is probably actually, I think, going to end up going toward a binder uh, more than anything else. In any case, you know, that's as far as decks from Baldur's Gates goes. I think I'm, that's the ones I'm going to keep my eye on, potentially building. There are, of course, many other decks from the past couple of sets that I haven't done episodes on yet. Um, Neon Dynasty, uh, of course, we, I, we talked about Shrines and Gates, but I also need to update Yuriko with Ninjas. Um, and then also all the Samurai from that set makes me want to make a Samurai Tribal deck, uh, probably led by Sasuke, I think. Um, I also, from, from the Innistrad sets, you know, can finally make that Werewolf deck finally. Um, and then there's, I also had the idea, right? to do a slivers deck uh you know kind of in line with the the with the gates and shrines uh, who are kind of slivers in their own regard for different creatures for different card types but um rather than just having a set of you know 60 slivers that i've already narrowed it down to i want to maybe just collect all slivers uh and then once i have a uh once i have all of them i have a set mana base of call it 40 cards or so and then i'm going to randomly select 60 slivers every car every time uh so that every game is, a, is a, as much a surprise for me as it is for my opponent opponents um so you know that and of course i was looking at vega earlier for bent adventures um there's a lot of actually cool things you can do with him you could do cards that let you cast stuff on top of your library stuff that lets you cast from exile so that lets you cast from your graveyard um like flashback or entomb or so on um but that list of cards is super massive i still need to figure out a win con beyond just outvaluing the opponents there um but i think vega is uh, definitely a spicy one to maybe build around in any case, this podcast is coming to its resolution. Let me know what you think of my deck ideas and what you're excited to build from Baldur's Gate and other decks. Um, are there any decks, I cards I missed for these decks, any other decks you're interested in building, be it uh, from this set or the past couple of sets? I'll put all my deck lists in the show notes from Architect. Uh, you can let me know what you think on Twitter at EtherVortexPod or via email at IntoTheEtherVortex at gmail.com. Uh, Into the EtherVortex on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Leave a review on any of those podcast stores on Podchaser.com. Links in the show notes. Architect, uh, where my deck list is linked with the name Ninja Boy, Boyer Than I. Um, intro and outro music is by Kevin MacLeod, incompetent.freemusic.io. Editing production by Ninja Boy Media. Next time, we're going to be talking about Streets of New Capenna. We'll see, hopefully. I think that's going to be the August, uh, the July episode. Um, and then until then, may your lands be plentiful, uh, but not too plentiful past the turn. Mm-hmm.